We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 40 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And as always, it is chaos in Mets land as they have fired their hitting coach, Chili Davis, who has been with the team since 2019 as the hitting coach, even though he was not with the team last year in person. He was still doing everything virtually. So what is it? 23 games into the season, the Mets make a change. I don't want to sit here and call this a huge change. It's not like they got rid of the manager. It's not like they traded someone or sent someone down. It's a change. And the reactions to it have been very interesting. We, As we sit here and record, Joe and I, we have just listened to Pete Alonzo's press conference, who had a lot to say, understandably uh, emotional. And we're going to get into that. We're going to answer all your questions today. There's a lot of good ones, and it's the opening week for the minor leagues, which is really, really exciting as well, especially for this show with Joe basically Joe basically being our Mets prospect god around here. So we'll get into that. Uh, what's going on with the, the starters getting healthy? Carrasco and Syndergaard throwing is, is great news for this team as we've seen a little bit of injuries. We'll see what's going on with Stroman, obviously Lucchese, and not having the best go of it. But Joe, let's get you in here. As always, the Mets making some big headlines. What are your initial thoughts? So the Chili Davis thing is is really interesting to me. You know, I'm kind of an old guy, so like I go to sleep early and I got woken up to, you know, in the middle of the night seeing, hey, the Mets fired their hitting coach. And I'm just like, oh, that's weird. I'll think about it tomorrow. Don't want to deal with it. But to me, you know, it's one of those things that philosophically what Chili Davis believes in and preaches doesn't line up with what the new Mets ideals are going to be. The Mets are going to be analytically based. Uh, Zach Scott as the GM at this point in time, from what I understand back when Chili was with the Red Sox and the Red Sox let Chili Davis go, Zach Scott was kind of instrumental in it happening there. So seems like happened twice here. They gave him a shot and, you know, that could be a question that you have. If the Mets not hitting for 30 days was going to lose, you know, cost Chili Davis's job, why was he the hitting coach to even begin the year? Why don't you make a change in the offseason to get someone that's going to, quote unquote, you know, fit more of what your philosophy is? So a little questions there. And obviously the optics, the communication, that's all bad. Let's just call it what it is. Firing a guy essentially overnight after the first game of a road trip. The players having to find out on Twitter, not in person. If this happened under the previous ownership, they would get shredded. So let's let's just be fair, fair here. The Mets handled this very poorly, 
very unprofessionally. And, you know, what I have no issue with the idea of moving on from Chili Davis. It's fine. I mean, it, it's a little scapegoaty to me, to be honest. But I get it. They weren't hitting, and his philosophy doesn't line up with what they want to do. If the Mets were hitting, then they might overlook the philosophy thing and just keep going, ride, ride the hot hand, and make the change in the offseason, whatever the case may be. But they weren't hitting. The philosophies don't line up. The players should be upset. It's you know it's the nature of the beast. To me, it, it felt you know it's a little early to me to make a change, but. You know, you have to you have to make hard decisions as GM, and this is the first one that, you know, Zach Scott's going through. Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, I agree with you completely that the process of all of this is bad, right? When you look at it, you sit there and go, well, the guys should not be finding out on their phones while eating a post-game meal from an MLB app notification or a Twitter notification. That's really, really poorly done. If you weren't a believer in him in the first place, like you said, Joe, why did you bring him back? Maybe they were afraid of the, the poor optics of firing a guy after number one, they hit the ball last year really well. The offense wasn't the problem. Two, it seems like players like him. And three, the fact that he was away from the team because of the pandemic. So maybe internally, and they'll never come out and say this. They were afraid of the bad optics of those three things. But overall, it does feel kind of like a scapegoat. Now, on the flip side of it, I'll say this team needed some kind of shakeup. And I don't know if this was the right choice to do it. I agree. It's it's too early for Rojas to go. Although, man, you want to talk about somebody who I want to believe Rojas has it. He has made some just flat out, there is no argument to be had. Bad decisions and obviously bad decisions the last two weeks a lot. And we can get into that later, whether it's the Diaz situation, whether it's Lucchese. There's just a lot of poor decisions that aren't even lineup related, to be completely honest with you. So it wasn't going to be him this early. And maybe we do get down that road at some point. I don't know. We'll see. But when you look at Pete's takeaway from it, he was honest, right? And he made sure he says, you know, I respect everybody that made this, this decision because Pete's never going to completely throw people under the bus. It's not the kind of guy he is, but he's also pretty candid and raw and honest. And his exact words were, it doesn't make sense. And he also said, those guys are, they are like family to us. And I think for Pete, it's a tough one because I think out of everybody, Pete would be the most emotionally uh, involved. Pete is an emotional guy, and most of the time, that's a really good thing. There's also times where it's it can get in your own head, right? We saw Pete struggle last year. No matter how much he says it, he was in his head a little bit last year during those struggles. He was pressing. He was visibly upset and distraught at times even. And when things are going really good, Pete looks like the most confident person I've ever seen at the plate as the Pete we've seen right now. And throughout Pete's major league career, which has been as impressive as it gets through his first however many games, Chili has been his guy. So, you know, it's funny. I had this conversation with somebody before Chili got fired, but a couple of days before it. And I was like, man, besides Pete, you know, how many guys do you look at and go, well, Chili's got to be doing something because Pete's had a lot of success with him. 
sure, Conforto was great in the the short season last year, and he's really picked it up lately. But you know, Lindor looks lost, which is its own problem. McNeil doesn't seem like McNeil. It's it's getting better, but it's, something still seems really off. Dom, and this is so early. This is not an overreaction. I'm just saying, Dom for as good as he was as a situational guy last year, has been really bad as a situational guy this year. And once again, it's really early. But this is a lineup that for this many guys to be struggling the way they are, it is jarring. And it just goes back to what you said, Joe. The bottom line is the people at the top, Zach Scott, do not agree philosophically with Chile's old school approach. Now, I think a huge issue I have in all of this is, and one of the reasons I thought he wasn't hired to be the GM is, I don't know how good Zach Scott is as a face-to-face kind of person, and the fact that he did not relay this to the team before it got out to the public is a gigantic issue, and an issue that I don't care how brilliant you are, how great you are with analytics, you can't be the leader of a team if you struggle with those things. You could be an assistant GM, you could be a director of analytics, you could be a director of operations, all of those things. You can't be the guy if you can't face the team. It's a colossal issue. And the, and I'm not trying to overreact, but this is a really, really bad first uh, intro to it. So I have a huge problem with that right out of the gate. Now, once again, Zach Scott was not meant to be the GM of this team. Number two, Sandy Alderson absolutely gets to share some of the blame here because if Zach Scott isn't ready to meet face-to-face with the team over things that will clearly upset a lot of the members of the team. Well, Sandy Alderson drafted these guys. He's known them since they were literally teenagers, most of them, or young 20-year-old men. Then Sandy Alderson needs to face the team. So I don't think this was the wrong move. I agree with you 100%, Joe. The process is pathetic and completely wrongly delivered. Now, with that being said... This could be something that the next time we record a show a week from now doesn't even matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, for me, to be honest with you, this is going to come off wrong maybe, but these are professional hitters, man. It's it's so easy to go after a hitting coach. and Yeah, they're not offensive coordinators, man. Yeah, I mean, Francisco Lindor just said it. Chili can't hit for me. That's on me. If I had been hitting, does he still have a job? I don't know. I'm gonna. I'll answer that for you. Yeah, he does. If Lindor was hitting like Francisco Lindor is capable of, Chili Davis wouldn't be fired right now. And the question, another question that I have is, where did this come from? Did this come from? Was this a Zach Scott and Sandy decision? Was this sent down from Steve Cohen? We don't know. I don't know what Steve Cohen's involvement is here because, you know, it it seems like the kind of move that Sandy wouldn't make kind of a rash firing 30 days into a season. To me, that doesn't seem like a Sandy move. So you have to at least ask the question, what was Steve Cohen's involvement in this? And is if Steve Cohen was involved in the decision, you know, to compare to the Yankees, that's more of a George Steinbrenner type of attitude than a call it a Hal Steinbrenner attitude. So you have to be careful with Steve Cohen, too, in this case. What is his involvement? Is this going to be is he going to be a quick to the trigger kind of firing type of guy as owner? It's something we're going to learn over time. But just just want to throw it out there as something and uh, away from the hitting coach quick. Some unfortunate 
breaking news. So we're going to be talking. I mean, when you hear this, you're clearly going to know about it. But yeah, yeah. Jacob Jacob Degrom has been scratched from tonight's start due to right side tightness. And the Mets are going to use Miguel Castro as an opener and try to get through the game. I don't know how they're going to get through the game. Um, they used their innings guys last night. So um, shrug shoulder emoji. Hopefully they're going to helicopter J- Yamamoto yeah. to the yeah. team probably. Yeah. Yeah. They scratched Yamamoto from the start tonight in Syracuse, but I don't know when he, when he found out and if he was getting called up, how quickly they're getting him to St. Louis. So I guess we'll have to see how the next couple hours go. But yeah, it sounds as if DeGrom has some tightness and hopefully it's, you know, nothing serious and it's just, you know, he misses tonight and starts in a couple days. But I assume we'll we'll hear more on that as time goes on. Well, let's yeah, and also we'll be clear, it's it's right side tightness, not elbow tightness, not right. so, you know, and when you throw the way Degrom does with that much torque, uh, you could see how something like this might happen. Now, obviously, as we sit here and record, things are not good right now. And hey, you know, a lot of questions in here are about how this rotation will shake out when Carrasco's back and eventually Syndergaard. Well, look what you've watched a month into the season. Guys get banged up. Not all of them get hurt and miss the year. Guys miss time here and there. It's going to happen. So that can answer some of those questions. Now, we spent so much time, Joe, talking about Chili firing and obviously this news about DeGrom, which you and I can't say a ton to right now as we sit here and record this Tuesday. Now, I was in Atlanta doing our NFL draft live shows for Bleacher. I did get to catch some of the Mets because they were on ESPN one of the nights they were off a lot but overall this team has played extremely up and down pretty much the whole year and absolutely recently I just want to pick your brain real quick and I don't think a ton has changed besides VR and Pilar being the bench presence that we could have what we expected but what has been your overall take on the team since you and I last spoke like you said, they're very up and down. There's a reason their record's around 500. They're playing like a 500 team. One so day is the division, hit. by the way. Yeah, right. The, the division, which is a good thing for the long term. It's like it's not like the Mets are falling behind. They're you know right on pace. They obviously would be nicer if they took the jump ahead, but you know they're they're right there. Uh, they're up and down, man. I mean, the pitching will show up one day. The hitting will show up a different day. They're not they're not clicking as a team right now. Where Everything comes together and they, you know, rally off a few wins. So to me, they're just, they're playing like a 500 team right now. And I think the team is more talented than that. And I don't know if this hitting coach change will give them some juice or, or, you know, they just have to, they do have to work out of it. I think, you know, for the most part, like, like you said, Lindor lost, completely lost. I don't have any doubts that he's going to find it, but got to get going here i mean it's it's not the end of the world but he's not even having competitive at bats he looks lost his mechanics would you move are him down? i would move I, him down i i would certainly consider moving him down in the order um i would i would give him a day off or two where 
the Mets are playing. Because someone responded to me last night when I said that on Twitter and said, well, the Mets had two off days last week. It's not the same as being off while the team plays and you could sit and absorb and really look at it from that perspective. Just being off and hanging out in your hotel room is not the same thing. So I would give him a day off. I would consider batting him more, you know, in the sixth spot and just let's get out of the funk. And he will. I firmly believe that. I have no doubts that he's going to. And once he does, you throw him back to his spot. And then, you know, this is a memory of a bad first month or month and a half in New York, whatever the case may be. But he's got to get going. Um, Louis Rojas, like you said, it's it's up and down decision making for me. I think people overreact to managers, generally speaking. Uh, You can make the right decision and have it not work out. You can make the wrong decision and have it work out and vice versa. So it's to me, I did have an issue with the Edwin Diaz thing and not, and I'm not making excuse for Diaz. He came in, he came in the game, should have been able to get the job done. Yes. He had the back tightness. I understand. And there's people on Twitter and Evan Roberts on WFAN actually said that he had doubts that Edwin Diaz had back tightness uh, as if Edwin Diaz hasn't been shelled before and just said and just took it. Like, why would now be the time where he faked an injury because he got shelled? Like, well, you're referencing the show that also had Zach Wilson on after he gets drafted. And the first question they ask is about his mom. So, I mean, true. I've liked yeah. I've liked Evan for a long time. Yeah, that it's just laughable what that spot has become. I'll just come out and say that and don't yeah. care who hears it. Yeah. Yeah, for I, I totally get that. But, you know, questioning Diaz, like, look, he didn't get the job done. He's got to get the job done. That has nothing to do with the overall point. The point is, when you're up four runs plus and your closer just pitched the day before and you already use Miguel Castro for a lot of innings, you uh, uh, I'm sorry, pitches, you already use Trevor May on back-to-back days, and the next day you're looking at Joey Lucchese starting – or a bullpen game at the time we weren't sure which they were going to do. And I mean, shit ended up being a bullpen game anyway, because of the way Lucchese pitched, (laughs) but you basically by pitching Diaz in that game took three relievers out of commission for Monday's game. And I know it's a division game. You want to win it. And I think fans think of each game as must win. And I hate to tell you teams don't, you know, it's it's bit it's always big picture thinking. So to me, it was a, mis- a mistake to pitch Diaz in that spot. They pitched him. He should have done the job. He didn't. But to me, you have to you really have to look. All right. We're going to be utilizing a lot of relievers tomorrow. Let's keep Diaz available. And of course, he had the back tightness, which we hope they didn't know about and pitched pitched him anyway. But yeah, he he struggled and. You know, my Twitter timeline got lit up and I completely understand that I anytime Edwin Diaz is good, I'm going to hear it. Anytime no, you're he's the punching bad, bag now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anytime it is what it is. I can take it. But, you know, let's Rojas needs to make some better decisions. I'm not by any means calling for his head. I don't think the Mets should be looking at making a managerial change anytime soon. But Rojas has to get a little more consistent in his decision making. I agree. I, when they brought him on, before he even started just throwing the ball all over the place, I didn't understand it. They're winning eight to four, right? They're up. They were up four runs, right? 
Yeah, they were up four. So you had Familia warming up in the eighth as well. So you should have just pitched Familia in the ninth. And if Familia got into trouble, okay, you bring in Diaz and you do what you have to do. Like you're not going to pitch Familia and lose the game on his back, obviously. But you have to look, you have to look ahead. And yeah, you know, last night the Mets lost. They wouldn't have used Diaz anyway. So all in all, you know, whatever. But you didn't know what yesterday's result was going to be on Sunday. So I didn't. I didn't totally agree. Um, ultimately, though, and I said this too on Twitter, ultimately they won the game. And, you know, it wasn't pretty. They got a little luck that the ball hit the railing and not two inches higher and going over the fence. Sometimes you get lucky wins. Sometimes you get unlucky losses. It's part of the deal. But the way people reacted after the game, you would think the Mets got crushed. That, that they didn't win the game. They, they totally lost. But... They actually won. So it worked out. They won the game. Familia came in and cleaned up Diaz's mess. And, you know, the you have to move on to Monday. And now here we are on Tuesday. Who would have thought that, you know, after that, when everyone was going crazy, that from there we'd have a coach firing and an ace missing his start? Man, the lack of luck I've seen in my Mets lifetime, I didn't even flinch at that. I was like... <laughs> It hit the rail, bounce back in, play on. Like, call him back out from the dugout. I just, I don't have these feelings like other people. Like, when Conforto got, you know, leaned into the pitch and they won on that, is it stupid? Yes. Is umpiring in baseball pathetic? Yes. It is almost every night. I sit there and laugh at the K-Zone or dumb calls. But I don't care anymore. I don't have this feeling of, like, Oh, the Mets got really lucky. This won't work out next time. The amount of nonsense I have seen with the Mets in my entire existence of watching this team, it's it's not even close to evening out. It's not even close. So I, I know it it is funny the energy after that. It did feel like, oh wow, you know, like this that was terrible. But <laughs> they won. And I'll just say this too, and I, I always say this, like. And maybe it's it's almost to defend you, but I think it's just logic. How many times do we need to pitch Diaz back to back to learn what happens? I just don't like and it's not not every closer is a horse like that. Right. And he's actually been amazing this year, quite clearly. But it's just not if you don't have to pitch him back to back, don't force it. There's no need. And I know Lugo coming back will make a world's difference of those opportunities or necessities. But still, man, it's just the proof is right there. Why do we keep doing this over and over again? Yeah, it makes no sense. I mean, he if he asked to pitch back to back days, I mean, he's he's had saves on back to back days, but he's, you know, more often than not struggled on back to back days. And that's you have to take that into account when you're evaluating a player. It's like, all right, what are we going to do today? Oh, we have a four run lead. I don't know if Rojas felt some immense pressure like what you see on Twitter where it's like, you have to beat your NL East rivals every game you can. And yeah, I mean, it's nice that they ended up winning, but they could have, you know, screwed over Monday a bit and, you know, going forward and it, and it didn't work out. That's the thing too, where it's like, he made the wrong decision in my opinion, at least, and it didn't work out. So that's when it looks bad. You know, if he pitched Diaz and Diaz went one, two, three, you know, we would have been like, Oh, Oh, well, it's what it is. No, no one would have set a peep. But 
you know, he has to get much more consistent with his decision-making. They had Familia up the inning before. Just get him ready. Get Familia in the game, who, let's give Familia some credit. He's pitched well this year so far. He's letting some base runners on, but he's been far more consistent than he's been the last two years uh, under the deal with the Mets, where, you know, I mean, we were talking this spring about, we're stuck with Familia, but so far he's been a, he's been fine. So I would have been more than content throwing Familia there in the ninth up four and just say, Hey, if he were to run into trouble or give up a run or two, all right, we'll have to suck it up and bring Diaz in, but you shouldn't have planned around Edwin Diaz pitching, you know, regardless, essentially like what, at what score would they not have pitched him? Cause they were up four, like, if they were up five, would it have been okay to not use them? Or they need to be up six or seven? And if that's the case, what does that say about how you feel about the rest of your bullpen? That you don't think they can hold a four or five run lead? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy to me. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No, you're spot on. And Familia's given up one earned run in seven innings. So he's been really good, honestly. And I, I he absolutely lets guys on. We know the Familia lack of control. But overall, the bullpen's been good. I'll come out and say it. I mean, real, I, really, when you look at the bullpen right now, Diaz has closed, you know, has finished a lot of games. Obviously, the other night was was rough Castro has been good Trevor May Trevor May having a bad debut outing has completely clouded the reality of his of who he is I mean seriously he's got a sub two ERA he's given up two earned runs in almost 10 innings and like I said Familia has been good Loop hasn't given up an earned run yet Gesellman has pitched almost eight innings only two earned runs and how about Sean Reed Foley? Uh, Sean Reed Foley guy. looks fan- he looks fantastic. I mean, and yeah. some of the some of the uh, analytical stuff on him, he had a seven point three foot uh, stretch, so basically getting closer to the plate, and that is more than guys like Degrom, like elite level stretch. So R- Reed Foley so far so good. I mean, ultimately, you know. It's a bullpen thing. He could get shelled his next two outings, and we'll be laughing that we talked about it. But so far, man, he shows the ability to elevate his fastball. It has that extra juice on it when when he throws it up. His breaking ball looks good, and he shows the ability to go two, three innings and not lose any of his stuff. So Reed Foley has really impressed me. Um, Castro, of course, has been awesome. He gave up the home run, and when he gave up that home run, that was the Mets breaking an 18-inning scoreless streak from their bullpen. So they had gone 18 consecutive innings without giving up runs. So the bullpen has been nowhere near the issue that we may have talked about two weeks ago or thought it was a couple weeks ago. And they still have Lugo coming back in the coming weeks. So I think all in all, the bullpen's fine. The starting pitching, it's been a little bit up and down, um, but mostly pretty good. 
it's the offense, which is what we felt almost best about, that hasn't done the job. So it's kind of funny how it works out. You know, you can evaluate things as best you can in the offseason in spring and make your projections. But at some point in time, these guys get on the diamond and they play baseball and you see you see how they perform. So all in all, you can't be you can't be unhappy with the way the Mets bullpen has performed thus far. Absolutely. And you're right. It is hilarious how we were like, oh, this team's going to score a lot of runs. But, uh, you know, and they can the starters go deep and can the bullpen close out games? And it's like, oh, well, everything we thought is wrong. So <laughs> that's just baseball. I mean, really, you know, you, you can't predict baseball, Susan. Like you really it really is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm just glad Sean Reed Foley is officially the greatest major leaguer to be born in Guam. Uh, I would like to come up with a nickname for him soon. He's getting that levels of good. And at some point they're going to they're going to have to see can you pitch him in high leverage situations, right? Like assuming he's not going to be an opener or a spot starter anytime soon cuz Yamamoto is probably going to get that opportunity along with you know Lucchese, we'll see. And then when Carrasco and Syndergaard are back, you're going to have Peterson probably default in that role. Well, I'll just answer that question actually right now but i think sean reed foley is showing hey uh you might have to think about me as this dude that can be a sixth or seventh inning guy in one to two run games because quite frankly you know we know diaz is going to close games we know trevor may is going to be the setup man and castro and lugo and even familia right now are you could put them in high leverage situations, but it's good to have another guy because guys are going to fall apart at some points of the year. It's just how relievers are. It's a tough, you know, nobody, nobody really gives you love when your lights out. Like Trevor May has been lights out a lot now. Nobody cares, but when things are wrong, the sky is falling. So let me not get away from the question here. The question was from Jackie at this point in the season, based off of what we've seen so far, what is the dream rotation if Carrasco and Thor come back strong? And would the guys getting kicked out move to the pen or triple A? Now, that's, you know, it's funny because Gesellman's been pretty decent. Usually you sit there and go, well, Lucchese, if he goes to the pen, it's going to be for Gesellman. And that's your no brainer. Now, Joe, I'll throw this to you. Say, huh, knock on wood, that everyone's healthy. And Syndergaard and Carrasco really are back. We're going to assume it's Peterson, I guess. What is the plan in your eyes? I would send Peterson to AAA and keep him starting. Yeah, keep um, him stretched out, right? I I think the Mets, as, as again, knock on wood, uh, as they stand today, are decently stocked in the bullpen, especially with guys that can go multiple innings, that I don't think it would be required for Peterson to be there to be like that multi-inning guy i mean you have gazelman like you said has performed well sean reed foley you could utilize yamamoto or lucasi seth lugo is going to come back who can throw multiple innings so to me sorry peterson you know go to syracuse ultimately guys are going to miss starts like i know they're talking about degrom now saying they think he might just miss one start but this kind of stuff is going to happen where people miss a start and peterson could come right up be stretched out, be ready to go, and he comes and he pitches the game. So to me, the ideal rotation is you know Degrom, Stroman, Taiwan Walker, Carrasco, and Syndergaard. 
not necessarily in that order, but you know, I mean, just the order will work itself out based on rest. Like you set your one through five at the beginning and then it changes throughout the year. So that, that order doesn't really mean anything, but yeah, to me, that's the ideal rotation with Carrasco. Uh, I'm sorry, with Peterson and Lucchese in AAA. Both of them stretched out, ready to go. Um, I don't feel the necessity to have either of them in the bullpen. Obviously, when the time comes, you know, the start maybe the starters are all healthy, but maybe Gazelman goes down or Sean Reed Foley starts struggling. Then at that point, you go, all right, let's put Lucchese in the bullpen now. Have that multi inning guy there from the left side. Send. I think ultimately, I I would not want Peterson in the bullpen at all at this point. He's a guy that if you tell me late September into, you know, hopefully the playoffs, if the Mets are a playoff team, having Peterson in the bullpen for something like that, I think could be valuable. But for the sake of the 162 game season, I'd want him stretched out at all times. I agree with that completely. I mean, you're going to have, hey, let's not forget, this is a team that's going to play a lot of double headers, I believe, in August. And yeah. we've seen very often in this doubleheader format, you could just bring a guy up if you need to to make the spot start. Well, he's the perfect guy for that rather than a Lucchese or Yamamoto in that situation. So we might as well just get right into all the questions here. This one is from Tyler. Would you agree or disagree that the aggressiveness of Chili Davis's firing is telling that Sandy and Zach don't have a long leash on other Wilpon hires within the organization, most notably Louis Rojas. What do you think of that, Joe? Maybe uh, it's possible. And I think it's telling that Sandy and the Mets opted to not pick up Rojas's option and have him kind of manage for his job. Yeah. So, I mean, they still, it's one of those things that obviously, if he manages well, they could just extend him. I mean, it's not like, it's not like baseball's different. Yeah. You don't get coached as a manager. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Basically, if he manages well, the Mets will extend him and, you know, no one will care that they didn't pick up his option. But by not doing that, they're making him kind of manage for his job. And, that to me is not a sign of faith. So we have to see how it goes. And Zach Scott said today or last night, he's done, he's actually done way more media the last 24 hours than he's done since he's joined the Mets. So I, they run together a little bit, but when asked about Rojas, he said he doesn't envision a change there. And he says, I want this to work, which means you're not all that confident that it's going to work and you want it to. I mean, that's kind of like if you have a so-so relationship and you're like, man, I like this girl. I really want it to work. When you say that, she's nice. When when you say that, (laughs) when you say that, there's always a but that you're not saying, you know, it's I want this to work, but maybe it won't. And you don't want to exactly say it. So to me, I don't know that they have all the faith in the world in in Louis Rojas, but I also don't necessarily think that they're pushing him out the door anytime soon. I don't I don't even know who would take over. I mean, naturally, it's the bench coach, but that's is that really progressive at all? And do I dare say it? Do you think they're going to go back down the Beltron road? I don't know. It wouldn't shock me. Um, I know a lot of people on Twitter are talking about some old school managers and they will never hire an old school manager. I I can I I would bet the house on that. Um, They're looking for someone young analytical that fits the mold. So would they go back down the Beltron road? It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's interesting because it's easy to sell right now, right? It's in the past. I don't think people would really be bothered by it. I know 
you and I were both excited when they hired him and I would be just as excited again. There's some legacy things there. I know that's something that Cohen obviously values. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It would be, it would be surprising if Rojas gets fired this year. Although I don't know if we should be surprised by anything anymore with this Mets regime. It's a, it's going to be a little bit more aggressive and pressing than what we're used to. I think. And it's a learning curve. Like we do, like yeah, we know Sandy, but we knew Sandy under the Wilpon's lead. We don't know what Steve Cohen's thinking. Like I kind of mentioned before, is is he more of a George Steinbrenner, which is you know, spend the money, don't care, be aggressive to make changes if things aren't going the way they should. I don't win. know if that. I, yeah, just try to win, and if it's not working, pull the plug too early rather than too late, and. I personally don't agree with that type of management. Personally, I know a lot of Met fans probably would love it, but to me, I'm more of a patient guy by nature. Uh, I personally wouldn't have fired Chili Davis yet. If you told me we we're if if you told me we were talking another two three weeks of not hitting, I'd begin to have the conversation. But to me, it seemed like a rash move, and I wonder. I just I just asked the question: Where does it come from? Is it actually? A Zach Scott Sandy decision? Is it a Steve Cohen? Hey, we should do this. And, you know, they're doing what the owner says. Something that we don't know the answer to. Maybe I'm being naive, but I, I don't I think it's so early that I don't think it was Cohen. I could see Cohen bringing up the question. Yeah. But it feels like he's still leaning on the baseball people to do baseball things. Now, in a year from now, I wouldn't be surprised if Cohen is much more involved in everything and comes over the top because, of course, he can do that. I, I This feels like a this feels like it came from the front office and they were probably pressing his buttons a little bit. I did see something interesting somewhere. It might have been from David Lennon, and I don't want to get this wrong. Somebody wrote a headline and, or a tweet and it kind of hinted that Lindor has Steve it is from Lennon he said don't underestimate the impact of the badly slumping Francisco Lindor who has the ear of Steve Cohen I don't know if that's just hinting or assuming or making a reference but when I saw that I was like "Hmm, that's interesting I hope Lindor Lindor doesn't seem that like that kind of guy, but it's no. it again, we don't know Lindor either. We are new to Lindor, we're new to Steve Cohen, we're new to Zach Scott. We don't know how these guys actually think. We're just trying our best to figure it out as we go. I would hope Lindor wouldn't be like, Steve, you gotta get rid of this guy. And and then go to the media the next day and go, It's not Chili's fault that I'm not hitting. That would be that would not be good if that's how Francisco Lindor was, but I have some doubts there that he, that's the way he is. But we don't know until you know we'll find out over time. But you know, ultimately, Chili Davis, you know, uh, Quattlebaum, which almost feels like a fake name, Connor Rogers, Joe DeMeo. I don't care who the hitting coach is. Francisco Lindor's got to start hitting the ball soon. Period. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. I mean. The only reference point you have is that things did not go well for Chile with the Cubs. That was and a very short Sox. tenure and the Red Sox. So yeah. and both of those very analytically driven teams, both of them have 
connection. I mean, not Jared Porter anymore, but you know, similar like Zach Scott, Jared Porter, very similar thinking. Even though like Porter's Porter was a little more on like the baseball business side, and um, Scott's more on the analytical side. But those guys worked hand in hand in Boston. And then when Porter went to Chicago, like they still would have similar lines of thinking. So Chili Davis not working out in two spots, which kind of connect to the Mets. And I had heard that Zach Scott was a proponent of getting rid of Chili Davis when he was in Boston. It doesn't surprise me that it happened. There you go. There's always interesting dots to connect. All right, let's get to another question that is completely away from the Chili topic, and that is from Steve Miller, who always sends us good stuff. This is something I've thought about in the last week or so. Does Nimmo's injury history concern you if you are considering letting Conforto walk after this year and investing long-term in Nimmo? I'll say this with Nimmo. I don't think we're at that point yet, but it is absolutely something to think about that as much as we love Nimmo's impact when he plays, you do have to wonder if there there's risk in all long-term investments, so that would be silly to say that. Nimmo is not a free agent after this year he's a free agent after the following year where you know you're you're paying a 30 year old player is what you're doing essentially so with that being said are these gonna get better with age well guess what that just traditionally in sports does not happen so it's another thing a piece of the pie you have to think about with Nimmo when paying him, I guess you could say this for every player, but it's that's why the Mets are not, I don't think, going to rush to pay Nimmo after this year. I think they want to see they would take this thing down to the wire and, and really feel it out. What do you think, Joe? I mean, Nimmo has an injury history. Uh, in high school, he tore his ACL. He's had a couple things in the minor leagues. He's had a few things in the major leagues. I wouldn't classify him as injury prone per se, but he seemingly always misses a little bit of time. It's not like it's a guy that's missing most of the season a lot. It's just little things here and there. And like you said, as you age, it's probably more likely that those little things will will crop up more often than not. But yeah, it absolutely would play a role. Maybe not directly as far as like, do you want to keep Nimmo for the long term? Maybe more of how much is Nimmo worth to keep? And maybe it affects you know, the value that you would put on them. And ultimately, when it comes down to, you know, extending guys ahead of free agency and, and things like that, Lindor was kind of an exception. Teams don't really do a lot of it. You'll see, I mean, a, a very small handful of extensions in the spring before for a pending free agent. Most of the time, if you make it to spring training and you don't have a deal, you're probably going to at least see free agency. I mean, Lindor signed one, Lance McCullers signed one. I can't even think of another one, but there probably was another one or two that I'm forgetting. Um, oh, Salvador Perez. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a very short list. It's not like teams in baseball are routinely extending guys a year early. They're either extending you when you're really young, you know, before arbitration, all that, and buying out a couple free agent years, or they're riding you through it all and then letting you test free agency and, see how the money lines up and if it makes sense to strike a deal to bring you back. And that's ultimately what I think they do with Nimmo. Final question in today's show, episode number 40 from Kirk. 
Happy opening day for the minor leagues from the group of Beatty, Allen, Vientos, and Mauricio. Who would you expect to see up with the big club first and when? Happy minor league opening day. It's been a very, very long time. These kids, obviously, there was no minor league baseball last year, so they have not played real baseball since August of 2019. So it's a, and you know, some of these draft picks, like, you know, Matt Allen has never played full season ball. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong and the guys drafted, you know, this, this past year have never played professional baseball. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting year that I'm still trying to figure out. And frankly, teams and people on the league are also trying to figure out what we should be expecting from players this year. I don't think a lot of people are very sure. Uh, but either way, excited it's back. I love following it. We're going to cover it heavily on here, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's it's going to happen. But as far as you know, the very specific question, uh, the money would be on Mark Vientos. And that's because he's starting in double A. So he is the closest to the majors of that group. With that said, you know, Beatty and Mauricio and Matt Allen are all just one step below him in high A Brooklyn. So if you are in the Brooklyn area or any of the teams that Brooklyn face, this is the year to go check out some Mets prospects because you're going to have, for me, three of their top five on the Brooklyn team. Are so, they going to allow fans? Um, I assume they're following New York rules. I honestly haven't really checked, but uh, I, it, to, that's more of a state thing, I think. So I'm sure it's whatever percent of a few thousand. So it won't be, you know, it might just be a few hundred fans, but I think they might let some people in. So if you're able to, you know, I guess I should look into that before I say that. But if you're able to go to games in Brooklyn this summer, try to get out there because seeing guys like Beatty, Allen, and Mauricio who have a chance to be impact players for the Mets should be a pretty exciting, pretty exciting Absol thing. Absolutely. And something that we will go over on this show, honestly, it's, you know, we're going to be a total Mets show from the minors to prospects that aren't even on the Mets yet to the major league team. And I'm excited to expand that really excited to Tap into that galaxy brain of yours, Joe, with the prospects and the miners. So it'll be a lot of fun. Episode 40, though. God, just a lot going on with the Mets. It feels like we say that every other show, but there's no hyperbole there. Closing thoughts here, Joe. Man, it's never boring. And that's why I'm so glad we have this platform, because the Mets are not a boring team. Um, there's always going to be something going on, positive, negative, or both. And... Yeah, right now, today is one of those low days, I guess you'd say, with the injury. Now to DeGrom, he's you know, going to miss a start, and hope, we'll see if they put him on the IL and maybe just be, be safe and have him miss two starts. You have the Chili Davis deal, and yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always fun to talk about the Mets, so I'm really excited to see how this week goes. Hopefully, they start turning a corner and have have a huge rest of the week against St. Louis and then into the weekend with Arizona uh, for Mother's Day. So, you know, everyone take care of your mothers this weekend, will you? That's right. Well said, especially those uh, moms that are Mets fans. And, you know, I will get a good chuckle out of this. That I mean, never a chuckle out of somebody being fired. But if the Mets ironically do start tearing the cover off the ball after all of this and these emotions and everything, We'll see how it goes. Episode 40 in the books. Catch you next week.
It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to one day early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. PenFed's got- 